This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live show devoted to subjects that are hard to talk about because they make us feel afraid, vulnerable, ashamed, or just really uncomfortable. And yet they're all subjects that we really care about. Tonight's show is the second to last in a series on bad mother anxiety. My guest tonight is Catherine Black, and we'll be talking about undermothered women becoming healing mothers who do it differently for the next generation. Catherine Black is a psychotherapist in private practice in Boulder, Colorado. She's a PhD candidate in clinical psychology, and she's author of the book Mothering Without a Map, The Search for the Good Mother Within. Catherine is a writer and editor, and she's the mother of two kids, ages 16 and 17, and her oldest son left yesterday for college, so today's a real milestone. Welcome to Safe Space, Catherine. Thank you. Thank glad, you. Glad to have you. I want to start out by asking you, you know, in your book, you so courageously tell your own story of being undermothered, and I wondered if you might share a little bit of that with me tonight. Sure. When, um, when I think of the term undermothered, and when I began doing research for this book and thinking about doing this book, I thought that what I meant was that I grew up without a mother, which is true. My mother died when I was six. I actually lost her when I was four years old. She went into hospitals and rehabilitation and then died when I was six years old. And I was then reared by my maternal grandmother. And um, my maternal grandmother was provided a model for me that I did not want to repeat when I had my own children. And although I thought it was really the absence of my own mother that was so significant to me when I became a mother, just as important was that I had this very powerful example of my grandmother. Um, so it was really two, two threads that were leading me to want to understand what do mothers do, why do we even need a mother, and what am I supposed to do with my own children? Right, and would you say maybe just a little bit about the kind of mothering that you received from your grandmother and what it was about that that you didn't want to repeat? The, the care I received from my grandmother, um, I, I heard similar stories from other women that I interviewed for the book. It looked very good from the outside, and in many ways, it was good. My grandparents were very stable people. They took care of me and my brother in uh, all of the obvious physical and important ways. You know, they fed us. They had a home for us. They um, provided schooling for us. They did all of those um, obvious parental tasks. And so... Uh, it looked right, but it didn't feel right to me as a child because it was emotionally sterile. It was emotionally cold. I was not allowed to express my feelings, certainly not my grief for my mother, the loss of my mother. We just didn't talk about anything emotional. And so I felt... Um, thwarted in that way. Uh, I, I, I'm only saying this as an adult now, looking back on it as a child, I 
didn't know any different. I just knew what it felt to be vigilant, on guard. I needed to watch my grandmother and her behavior for the signals for how I was to be. Right. And so when you were thinking about becoming a mother yourself, you really were trying to make sure that you didn't repeat that. I was. It was very frightening to me to think about having children um, because of my own experience of being mothered. My own mother, um, by dying, and this sounds so odd to say it, but by dying, she rejected me. And she didn't mean that, and I, I know absolutely that she would have given anything to stay alive and to care for me and my brother and our father, um, but, she, uh, but she died. And from the child's point of view, that feels like a rejection. She left, and a, a six-year-old doesn't understand why or or, you know, any, have any ability to uh, really thoroughly understand death. And um, so I experienced her as having gone away from me. It's such a powerful way to put it. You know, I can understand, because I'd never thought of it that way. I'd often thought of when a parent dies that the child feels abandoned. But to say feels rejected, it really makes sense hearing you say it, but I, I hadn't quite grasp that. I think for people to appreciate that about children seems like a really important thing, mm-hmm. just in itself. Mm-hmm. Children have, uh, they don't have the adult perspective, and it's so it sounds so obvious to say that, and it is obvious, but I think adults forget it so often that they just have a different perspective. So there you are. So then you go into becoming a mother with two very specific agenda one to not be rejecting mm-hmm. and the second to be emotionally available to make talking and feel about feelings really open right right uh-huh. and and then when it came down to it when you actually did take the leap and become a mother mm-hmm. uh, did you find that um, that those two things were actually difficult to provide for your children yes I don't I not so much the uh, rejecting aspect, but certainly the uh, emotionally um, constricted aspect of my grandmother. And what and I, but I think what was really very powerful for me and very difficult was to be able to parent with um, a lot of freedom and joy and being relaxed because my mother's death had taught me at a very young age that the very worst thing can happen to me. And most, most of us get to grow up um, with the idea that bad things happen, but they happen out there to other people. And I knew they could happen to me. So it was very... Um, it was like this huge leap for me to allow myself to love these two children more than anything imaginable and to love them and also know that uh, nothing is guaranteed. And I knew better better than most that there are no guarantees in life. 
Did you find yourself struggling with ways that you might protect your heart? Yes, and my my biggest worry was that I would pass my fears on to my children, which is exactly what my grandmother had done. She she was extremely anxious and um, protective of me in a way that was not good for me um, because she had lost a child, her only child, in fact, and she, too, was protecting her heart from fully loving me and my brother because it didn't feel safe. And so she would... um, she was very, uh, you know, kept the strings, the, the leash very short and was always saying, you know, what the bad thing that could be that could happen and being angry with me if I was the slightest bit late or um, showed any signs of, of autonomy and independence from her. I can imagine that would have been so frightening, the thought of that independence might take you away into danger. Exactly. Yes. So so there you are, and you're trying not to pass on your fears to your kids, and yet you do have this fear. You know, part of you really does know, terrible, the worst possible thing can actually happen. Mm -hmm. Did you struggle with that fear internally? I mean, were you aware of trying to kind of contain it so that it didn't... Well, um... Containing things, as you probably know, isn't always um, the best path or the most successful one. Right. And um, so for me, what I, I needed to really explore that fear and really face that fear. And I did that in a number of ways through my own psychotherapy and uh, being a writer, writing about all of it, including writing this this particular book, um, and and really exploring those feelings and coming coming to know, as uh, I think most mature adults must know, is that there really are no guarantees, and yet um, that doesn't need to restrict us in our love for others and our. Uh, plans for the future in our joy in everyday life. It just strikes me, you know, it's so compelling what you wanted, you know, you wanted to be able to parent from freedom and from joy. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, just deciding to feel freedom and joy doesn't always get you there. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it feels like, you know, how, what was the path, if you would, I know you mm-hmm. said you did psychotherapy, but mm-hmm. what do you think were the places that in you that really allowed that to come in? Um, part of it was that I didn't have to do it alone. I had the support of my wonderful husband, who is the father of my children. I had very dear uh, women friends who were further along the mothering path than I was to lead the way, my village women, and, and, I had, um, and, I, and I had many opportunities. Children give us so many opportunities to grow and to mm-hmm. deal with our own demons. And, I mean, I can even remember 
um, a time when my first child was a year old, and we were uh, we had bought an old house that we were uh, redoing so that we could move into it, and I had my son with me, and we were working on the walls and um, plaster, taking off old wallpaper, and I realized that what we were actually doing was uncovering very old paint, undoubtedly lead paint that was being released in the air. And I just, I was just immediately terrified, thinking, oh my gosh, you know, my my thought was literally, and and it sounds so, so strange perhaps, but my thought was, I will not be able to keep him. Hmm. As and in, like, some the state would take him away because you lead poisoned him, or that what? that that whatever 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 would come along and take him away. Uh-huh. That I would kill him with the lead paint. I someone see. would take him away. Something else would happen. But that, but that I just it was like you know completely in my face that day that how vulnerable I was in loving this child and I didn't even have my second child at that point um, but but it was times like that that really allowed me gave me opportunities to really examine that fear that was out of proportion to reality out of proportion to what was actually happening. So in other words, the way I'm hearing you say it, it it's when the, f- the very thing you didn't want, which is fear, when it actually came up, that was the opportunity for healing. Yes. That was the moment for you to really go into it and explore it and mm-hmm. sort of ride it through in a way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's such a wonderful but alternative way about thinking <laughs> thinking about these things. <laughs> this is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space, and I'm talking to Catherine Black about being an under-mothered mother, doing it differently. So I want to shift now, because I know that you, in your own current work, you w- do a lot of work with mothers. Is that is that right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And so do you find that you draw a lot on your own experience and the work that you did on yourself and in your work with other mothers? Hmm, I think um, certainly, uh, absolutely indirectly. I don't know that I always do directly, but I have experienced, I have what what we say a lot of life experience. So for uh, people who come to see me for psychotherapy, I have experienced a lot of what they have experienced or what they bring to me. Right. Well, the fact that you've written a book and been so open about your own experience, I imagine you draw to yourself mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. who may know a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. So I want to ask you, you know, I think that so many mothers do fear, will I be able to do it differently? What will I be able to draw on in myself if, I, if my mothering experience, for whatever reason isn't what I want to repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I know there's a lot of research about this, about intergenerational transmission of mothering. I wondered if you might say a little bit about, in some ways, the basis for that mm-hmm. fear. Um, there, there's a great deal of research that 
tells us that we do pass on to our children um, a great deal. And one of the, uh, uh, there's a huge body of research in attachment theory called the adult attachment interview. And what it tells us is that using this uh, research tool, it's a research, not a clinical tool, uh, of this particular interview, when researchers interviewed pregnant women, based on how those women talked about their relational history and their experiences with their parents, they, the researchers could predict what kind of attachment that mother was going to have with her unborn child when that child was a year old. And they could do this with about 80% accuracy. Well, it's and chilling. It's chilling. It is chilling. And it, what we know for sure is that as human beings, our default button is on repeat. We repeat what we know. And particularly under stress and in difficult situations, we kind of fall back on what, we, what we've done before rather than trying something new. So the other, that's the sort of scary news. But the really great news is that, that we can change, that the human brain can change, that old pathways set down as children can be restructured and reset and if a mother grew grew up um, in in missing what she uh, should have had deserved to have in her own childhood it doesn't mean that um, that's exactly what will happen to her with her children she's not doomed in other words exactly and one of the attachment researchers said something like, well, this, this would be dull, uh, a dull area to study if, if it were that simple um, because it can change. And we, we know that if you change, like uh, if we know that a mother has an insecure attachment with her child, that that can be fixed. So it isn't only that her she can change what happened to her from passing it on, but she can also write something that has gotten off to a rocky start. It's not too late. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I want to shift now to talking about those 20% of mothers who, who surprise the researchers or who, who don't fall into the mm. pattern. Mm-hmm. And you use a term in your book, earned secure, that they may not have had a secure attachment as children, but they earn it mm-hmm. later. And I want to mm-hmm. ask you about that earning. What did they do mm. f- to be, to earn that, to become into a place? Or how do you? How can you even tell if someone has become an earned secure? Well, the earned secure is a specific category in the attachment research, and what it is is that it's a secure adult, meaning using this instrument called the adult attachment interview, they can be classified as secure, even though the content of their childhood, you know, the stories they are telling about their childhood are not happy stories. They're difficult stories or painful stories, but that adult is able to reflect on those, on the past. To re- It's like free, free to evaluate is the term. So the adult is standing 
in a solid place in adulthood looking back and saying, well, that happened and it really was not good for me. And my mother did this or my father did that or we had this uh, uh, tragedy occur or whatever it is. So you would think that the secure category was only the adults who had had happy childhoods. And, of course, that's the... That's the great path. That's the path we want for our own children right. is to grow up on that, uh, you know, happy brick road all the way to adulthood without anything terrible happening. Right. So, I mean, that was one of the things that struck me is that in the Earn Secure, the, the mothers who get there, that it was characterized particularly by the way that they told the story about their childhood, that it had to do with telling a coherent narrative that included the painful, but included what was good, that mm-hmm. had reached a place of kind of honesty and balance in their perspective. Right. Which was very striking to me. Y- you write in that vein, you write about part of the healing that happens, you know, that mothers, once they become a mother, that they're not only trying to do something new with their child, but that all this new stuff can come up in their relationship with their own mother. Mm-hmm. And you write about the importance of moving from blaming the mother to making some sort of peace with what happened, with accepting it at some level. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if you could tell me a little bit, maybe from your own experience, about how you got there, how you moved from maybe really blaming your grandmother to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say that for me and for um, a lot of other women who had... Uh, difficult childhood, sometimes the movement is even from further back than blame. And by that I mean that they're, they're in a state where they don't even understand that anything was wrong mm. or that they don't feel free enough to say that was really a shortcoming on my mother's part and I wish she had been able to do this for me. And Instead, they look at it all sort of through the rose-colored glasses. Oh, everything was fine. My mother and father were great. I wouldn't blame them for anything. You know, everything was great. Um, or, So in that story, blame is actually progress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. 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 So the blaming position is um, very generally can be thought of, of like being preoccupied with your past and like somebody has to pay for this somebody is accountable for this um and and then of course the next is uh compassion and acceptance and embracing the whole story and so how does one move through that part of the answer for me and part of what um, I talk about in this book is that each of us needs to understand our own mother and who she was and where she came from, what made her the way she was. And a lot of women resist that, thinking, oh, it's past, I don't want to think about it. But it is looking to her and her experience because um, the mother's experience we know so informs her daughters and so informs the next generation. So for me, um, 
I did do a great deal of research and exploring of my grandmother's life. I actually wrote uh, another book about my mother and grandmother called In the Shadow of Polio, and it was the story of my mother's illness and death and how it affected our family and the whole social history of polio. But in doing that, two, two huge things happened to allow me to have more compassion for my grandmother. One was becoming a mother myself and understanding, uh, getting a glimpse of what it must mean to lose a child. Mm-hmm. And also doing the research that I did as a journalist to, to come to know what my grandmother's experience was watching her only child die from this terrible disease. So, and it's heartbreaking to let yourself really go there. Yes, it is. It was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It was. But so your combination of really kind of getting it experientially and then getting it intellectually and again emotionally, mm-hmm. that really helped you make peace, have compassion for her yes. and shift out of blame. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. And did you ever talk to her about that? Did she ever find out that you, could you share this with her or not? Uh, no. She was, um, I interviewed her a great deal for the polio book, and she, of course, knew I was writing the book, and, um, but she had a stroke uh, before the book came out, and then um, had died by the time Mothering Without a Map came out, and so uh, mm. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what she would make of it. Right. But, Go ahead. But... Um, but I did did feel very much this loyalty that I hear so often from other mothers about, you know, even coming to my workshops, Mothering Without a Map workshops or support groups that I do, that, that even taking that step is saying, my mother must have done something wrong, otherwise I wouldn't need to read this book or be in this support group. And I, too, experience that loyalty of, you know, how can I expose this? How can I expose my grandmother in this way? And yet, uh, and yet I could because it was my truth. And I, ironic, go ahead. <laughs> I was telling, I am telling what, what the experience was for me, mm-hmm. from my point of view. And I do not want anyone to blame mothers for anything. It's really a matter of understanding and being able to look at it and to accept your own experience. What seems so powerful to me is that it was actually by daring to risk that loyalty that you came to a place of compassion, Mm. ultimately that you honored her even more. Mm -hmm. I realize we have very little time left, so I want to shift gears now to talking a little bit about how how undermothered mothers can move out of fear into confidence that they are good mothers and you know sort of moving out of that striving place um you've said a little bit about how you worked with your fear when it came up and how that helped you mm-hmm. but i'm i want to talk about overcompensating mm-hmm. and um sort of the, the the way the pendulum can swing Mm-hmm. Uh, from one generation to the next mm-hmm. so that, you know, our mothers undermother us in one way and then we 
may overmother over our mm -hmm. children and then mm -hmm. the next generation is in horror of overmothering and undermothers mm -hmm. and um, right. tell me a little bit about how you can even know if you're overcompensating well i think it, i think you are quite right that sometimes women say i'm not going to do anything the same uh, the same way that my mother did it i'm going to, i'm going to always be present always be there always um, be be the perfect mother, and and I think any uh, any uh, indica any indication that one thinks that childhood or motherhood are perfectable is a great is a red flag. <laughs> no, our, our even our own children cannot have a perfect childhood. It's just. You know, life and human beings are messier and more, um, more flexible than that. And um, so, uh, yeah. So it's so. How does one? How does one know? Um, but it is. I think our culture. There is this swing in our culture toward uh, um, making it more okay to be what I call the smother mother, and yes. I think some call it the helicopter mother, and it really it, it can look really good, but it's re just really just another way of not allowing the child to be the child, to be who that child will be. And on that note, we are going to have to stop, Catherine. I want to thank you so much for being my guest. If people want to follow up and get your book or contact you, how can they do that? Um, I have a website, mothering with, motheringwithoutamap.com, and I have a website for my uh, psychotherapy practice, which is katherineblack.com. Catherine, thank you so much. This is Dr. Ann on Safe Space at WMPG. I've been interviewing Catherine Black about m undermothering, being undermothered and doing it differently yourself. Uh, if you would like to email me with a request or a suggestion for a future topic for a show, please do so at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. Next week will be the last in our series on bad mother anxiety. I'll be interviewing Jean Safer about choosing not to have children and how it is to live with that choice. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison. This program is brought to you with listener donations and an underwriting grant from the Sun.